Hey, 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 what's up, Metro Praise International? How's everybody doing this afternoon? All right, all right, good to see you guys. Wow, man, we're November, guys. First Sunday in November. Congratulations to the Chicago Cubs for winning the 2016 World Series. Man, it's an awesome time to be a Chicagoan right now. But uh, not as awesome as being in the house of the Lord this morning, this afternoon. Eh? Amen. All right. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon to worship with us. Why don't we all stand before we begin? All right. Good to see your faces this afternoon. Uh, before we begin service, I'd like to call up uh, my sister Lara to come share a, a testimony of what God has been doing in her life. So please give a warm welcome as she comes up to share. Good afternoon. Um, what I want to talk about today is pretty much about uh, how important it is to be accountable. Um, I think three weeks ago or a month ago, I was really going through a hard time with school. Every time I come here, I talk about school because that's my thing. <laughs> and I think it, one thing that God has shown me that it's going to be hard to end and get my diploma, definitely. But the thing is, um, I, I was going really uh, go, going through this hard time, but it felt like everything was falling apart because my mom also had a fourth stage of heart attack in Brazil. And most people don't know that, but I had to go... Um, I'm getting emotional, um, but I, I I really felt like it was everything happening one week, one specific week. Uh, and although I really have a good relationship with God, you know, I was praying, I was just uh, rebuking everything that was, you know, going against the plans that God had for my life. But I felt that one thing that God showed me is that I was not being accountable, and just sharing how how hard that situ that situ specific situation was going on. And it only felt less overwhelming when I finally opened my heart to talk with someone, to talk with uh, Elevate leaders. And I could, I could actually open it and just say, you know, my week's not going well. Can you just pray for me? And I felt like that, all the burning that I was feeling in my heart, it was just, it just like fell away. Like I, it really disappeared. And I, it's still hard. I can't wait to the semester to be done. And I can't wait to go to Brazil and see my mom. But the thing is, now it feels so much easier, so much light. And uh, the, the, the verse I want to share with you, it's uh, in Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider how uh, we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more that is you see the day is of the day approaching. The thing is, this verse is related for us to, you know, take care of our brothers, love our brothers. And... Uh, but the thing I get from this verse that in order to do that, we first need to be open to people to, to say, you know, things are on lives, our own struggles. So for you that are here today, maybe you are going through something in your life and you just have this sort of a pride inside and you want to open your heart to tell people about things that you're going, you're facing in your life. So I pray that today you are going to, um, to just be released and be uh, free to open your heart to other people. Because in this church, is an amazing church, you have people that you can be accountable. And as an anthropology student, every single society needs to be accountable. But I, I guess as Christians, we must be more and more because that's the basis of our heart. We must be accountable. So let's all pray. Uh, God, thank you for this amazing day that you have prepared for us. Thank you for the opportunity for being here to worship your name, to lift your name, God, today. I pray that you open our hearts, God, that this service, God, the service will be filled with your Holy Spirit, the presence of your Holy Spirit. Let miracles happen today, God. Let hearts 
hearts be open uh, and let us God learn how to be more accountable to worship your name God in the spirit and the truth um, that let the message that will be preached today by Pastor Joe God let this message to uh, hit our hearts God that, that we might learn and walk more in your presence more and more in Jesus name I pray amen Sing, you came. You came to set the captives free. You came to bring us liberty. My sin and my rejection met your blood and my acceptance. And now I'm alive to bring you praise. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Every chain is broken through you, Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Your blood has covered every sin. Your grace empowers me to win. My pain and my oppression met your blood and my acceptance. Now I'm alive to bring you praise. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Every chain is broken through you, Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Whoa. I'm free, I'm free to dance and sing. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free to shout it out. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free to dance and sing. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free to worship Every chain is broken through you, Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there is frequency. I'm free. Yes, I'm free. Yes, I'm free. I'm free to dance and sing. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to shout it out. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to dance and sing. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to worship you. I'm gonna worship you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Every chain, every chain, every chain is broken. Oh, chains are coming off. When the Spirit of the Lord is there, is freedom. We give you praise, oh Lord. There is freedom in this place. Holy Spirit, you meet with us. Hallelujah. There's freedom in this place, Lord. Your spirit is, I want to go deeper, deeper with you. Father to the fatherless, defender of the weak, a freedom for the prisoner. We sing. Father to the fatherless, defender of the weak, a freedom for the prisoner. We sing. This is God in His holy place. This is God clothed in love and strength. We sing now, lift your voice and cry out. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. Yes, sing out, lift your voice and cry out. Awesome is our strong God, mighty is our God. You're with us in the wilderness, you're faithful to provide. Every breath and never stay, we sing. We'll sing it again. You're with us in the wilderness, faithful to provide every breath and every step. We, this is, for this is God in 
Lift up a song together. Lift up your own words. Oh, I want to be close to you, close to you. Oh. Let the key. Of my sins, the anchor in the waves. Oh, He is my 
Let the King of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo in my days. Oh, let's sing that again. Let the King of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the echo in the waves. Oh, He is my song. Let the King of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, He is my song. For you are good, you're good. Oh, oh, you are good, you're good. Oh, 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 you are good, you're good. Oh, you are good, you're good. Oh, you're never gonna let you never. Come on, church, let's sing that. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Well, lift your voice. Oh, I'm never gonna let, you're never gonna. And you're never. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Cause you are good, you're good. Oh, 
always by my side, that's what your word says. You're never gonna Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are a God that you do not let us down. Jesus, we thank you and we worship you, oh God. We thank you for your goodness and we will continue to sing the goodness of the Lord. We have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Church, it tells us to taste and see that God is good. And how many believers do I have in this room? You have tasted and seen the goodness of God. So we're going to sing, you are good together again and I want you to sing it over your family I want you to sing it over your community I want us to sing that he is good in our city and in our nation in this time you, you are, are good. good he is good. good and what he does is oh, good come on lift up your voices you lift up your hands all across you this place sing it as a declaration for the goodness that you, you continue to want good. to see in your life because you serve a God who is faithful. Come on. You are today oh God we thank you for who you are we thank you oh God for what you've done for us we thank you Jesus for your goodness for your faithfulness for your mercy we thank you for your salvation today for your provision for your love we thank you oh God that we can call you our father that you are our provider you are our help in the times of trouble that we can run to you Jesus we thank you we thank you Jesus for you are good and what you do is good hallelujah receive the glory and the honor and the praise that is to your name today Jesus give the Lord a hand clap of praise today church we serve a good good God he is faithful you guys may be seated we're gonna continue with the attitude of prayer and worship because we're going to take communion together as a church family in just a few moments so the ushers can pass out the elements. The reason why we take, thank you, good sir, the reason why we partake in communion together the first Sunday of every month is because this is an ordinance that we practice in the church and we do it to remember what Jesus did for us. And it is such an honor and a privilege that we get to do so together. But before we partake, I want to make sure that everybody in this room has a chance to hear the message of the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came to save us. He came so that we could have a relationship with the Father again. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose again three days later. So we believe that Jesus is alive. We believe in the resurrection. 
So I'm going to read this passage of scripture to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. So for those of you who are not right with God in this room today, you do not have a relationship with Jesus where you've allowed his blood to wash you clean of your sins through repentance, turning from your ways and living a life that is pleasing to God. With all eyes closed all across this room, I want to give you an opportunity to do so today before we partake of communion. These passage, these uh, few verses here, the Apostle Paul was actually correcting the church in Corinth for partaking in communion the wrong way. And you do not want to be guilty of partaking of communion and not being right with God. So I want you to take inventory right now and search your hearts. And I plead with you, get right with Jesus today because you're not promised tomorrow. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear the gospel message of salvation. And I pray for every single person in this room, if they're not right with you, that today would be their spiritual birthday, that today they would be born again because they've accepted you as their Lord and Savior. They have asked you to forgive them of their sin and save them doing what only you can do by your blood. And we thank you, Jesus, for this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand up to your feet with me as we prepare to partake of the communion together. During the fellowship time when we hang out, we're going to have prayer workers up here at the front. I encourage you to come and receive prayer for them. Find out how you could get plugged into the church and be discipled. Amen. So let's pray for communion. We're going to start with the wafer. You guys could hold it up. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. And we pray for this wafer that represents your body that was beaten and bruised and whipped. The crown of thorns that was placed upon your head. God, you did that for us, Jesus. You took our place. And we thank you today. We remember you. We thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you that you've called us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Woo! Let's partake of this wafer together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. And we lift up this grape juice that represents your blood that was poured out for the sins of the whole world. We thank you for this blood that cleanses us from our sins, that heals our sicknesses and our sorrows. And we remember you today, Jesus, and the blood that you shed so that we could be saved and redeemed. You paid the ransom that we could never pay. And we say thank you and we love you, Lord. Let's partake of the juice together. Hallelujah. Praise his name. We thank you, Jesus. 
Come on, just take a few seconds before the band leads us in worship. Thank him in your own words, guys. Come on. We have been welcomed into a new covenant. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you, Jesus, for your body. We thank you for new life, for a living hope. Woo! Praise you, Jesus. Let's worship along as the band leads us. The ushers will come and discard of the remainder of this. Let's just soak in his presence at this moment. God, we thank you. Jesus, Jesus we thank you for paying it all. To him I Sin had left a crimson stain, and he was white as snow. Come on, lift up your voices. Lift up your hands across this room. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. To him I Sin had left a crimson saint, and he washed it. Oh, Jesus fade, and Jesus faded all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson saint, and he Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo, we serve an awesome God. Oh, he's so good. Praise him, praise him. We could bask in this glory forever. Oh, my goodness. This is what it's going to be like for all of eternity. Don't you guys want to just be in this for a little bit longer? Praise God. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. We thank you. We're going to confess our confession of faith at this time. Are you guys ready? Church, are you with me? This is our Christian worldview. This is what we base our stance on when it comes to society and the things society and the things that they throw us. We see the lens of the world. The, the lens is our, this is the Bible. We see through the Bible the lens uh, of this world. And so I just pray that we would continue to uphold the truth of the gospel. We stand on the word of God. So let's declare it today on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. In the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Clap it up for Jesus one more time. Watch you guys turn around and greet some new people. Welcome to Metro Praise International.
Woohoo! Looks like you guys came excited for church today. Who's excited to make some noise? Come on! Second service. Welcome to Metro Praise International. You guys can all be seated. Welcome, 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 especially if it's your first time here. We welcome you. Keep on coming back. Invite your friends and your family. It's good to see all of you here. Our services at MPI are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service, so we have King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. We have amazing children's workers who pour into them with love and care. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. This is our youth service for students 11 to 18 years old. So if you know any teenagers, invite them. This is the place to be on Friday nights. How many of you guys believe that God can change our city through our youth? We must raise them up. We have the best youth leaders raising them up to fear the Lord and to win their generation for Christ. We have a few announcements for you. Tonight is our God and Politics seminar or session. Come on, give it up. For Jesus, for that one, we need the Holy Ghost in the room tonight. This is going to be at 6.30. We are going to be discussing everything everyone is afraid to talk about. So we have awesome speakers lined up for you. Bring your family, your friends, neighbors, co-workers. We want this room to get packed out because this is important. How many of you guys have been praying for our country for this election? I cannot believe it's two days away. So God and polit politics tonight, 6.30. Child care will be provided. So there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to come with your family. We're excited about what God is going to do in that meeting. Then we also want to let you guys know that we have the talent show auditions for our Christmas service right around the corner. So if you're in the 201, a deacon or an elder, and you want to participate with your talent for this talent show that service please see pastor jerry or adam because the auditions are going to be november 20th at 3 30 so mark that in your calendar if that's a date that you cannot make please 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 contact them if you really want to do it so that something can be worked out but we're really excited about that show off your talents for the lord for that day let's bring him glory okay and then we want you guys to join us for our Thanksgiving annual outreach. We're going to be meeting here at MPI at 10 o'clock in the morning on Thanksgiving Day. And we're going to be heading down to the west side, Ohio Park, which is a community that we've kind of adopted. We're going to be helping Universal MB Church serve their community. We want to serve that church. We want to help them serve the community and pass out an amazing Thanksgiving meal for the people there and show the love of Christ through our actions. So join us that morning here. And then we can all go be blessed on our way to enjoy with our family and friends as well. So this leads us to our vision. Look to your neighbor and say, we have a vision here. Our vision is loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And we have a strategy to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to the church through our life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. And I said it in the first service, and I'm going to say it today. If the Chicago Cubs can bring 5 million people together for their parade, Metro Praise International can go get us some 100,000 disciples. Come on, it just shows you what our city is capable of. And if we could do it for a sports team, my goodness, we can do it for the glory of God. That just gets me so pumped. So 100,000 in our city. Look to your neighbors, say, get connected. 
We want to connect you to our life groups. This is a snapshot of the life groups that we have going on for this week. If you want the full schedule, turn your handout around, check it out, find a place to get connected to, to belong to. Kicking it off this week is going to be our Wednesday Kings Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old, 630 here at the church, Royal Rangers for Boys, Impact for Girls, amazing program for our children to get discipled in, to be raised up, to be men and women of God. Thursday, our gang outreach meets weekly, 18 years and up, 7 p.m., meet here at the church. You have to be passionate about this. Win your city. Go out there literally looking for those gangbangers who desperately need Jesus to touch their life. And every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Goveas, the other one at the Vivid's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Be there. Get refreshed. Get encouraged by the body of believers around you, men and women of God that are going to be there to uphold you uh, throughout your week and getting into the word of God. Then we want to mentor you. I want to let you guys know that in the first service, we had four people graduate the 201 class. They got ordained as deacons. It was Albertina. It was Iris, who's actually in this service. Iris, wave your hand. Give it up for Iris. She's our new deacon. And then Juan and Diana. Guys, discipleship works. We want to mentor you. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book, which is Welcome to Your New Life. They'll take you one-on-one, -on -one, encourage you in your walk with the Lord so that you could grow as a disciple. And then when you graduate that, you'll get into the 201 class. And that's what these four disciples just finished. They got ordained as deacons today. It's not an endless cycle. God has called you to be a leader, to make a difference in your world. And it comes through love. It comes through accountability and being passionate about being a disciple that makes other disciples. So we really want you guys to get connected if you haven't done so already. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism. We believe in street preaching, street witnessing. Every Saturday from 5 to 8, we have people on the streets preaching the gospel to complete strangers, sharing their faith and letting people know in this city, our dying city, that whose hope is only in Jesus, that if they turn to Jesus, they could be saved. We must be the mouthpiece and the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. So look to your neighbor say, send. In recap, we have a vision, strategy, and a goal. Vision of loving God and loving people. A strategy to connect you, to mentor you, and to send you out. And a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah, hallelujah for Jesus. Come on. Are you guys excited to give your tithes and offering? As excited as you were that we won the World Series, as, as excited as we should be today to give the Lord our best. Amen? Our tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. And then to our, the offering, we give towards missions and towards building. An offering is the amount that you give after your tithe. should be done cheerfully, joyfully. We're going to be getting into our giving lesson for today, Overcoming Unbelief. So we're going to be talking about hindrances for the rest of these few weeks that we have left in the year. Hindrances, as you can see in the definition, a hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. How many of you guys want to get those hindrances out of your way? Because you want to obey God, right? We don't want things hindering our lives from being completely 100% obedient to the Lord. So the hindrance today is the hindrance of unbelief. And we're going to be reading in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. How do you guys want that to be you? Come on. Here are the three main points. Number one, do you believe God commanded the tithe? 
If we don't believe God actually wants us to tithe, then we won't do it consistently because we will look at it more as paying a bill. And no one likes to pay bills. However, if we really believe God commanded us to give 10%, we will joyfully do it. Because we all want to be pleasing to the Lord. And if you truly believe in your heart that God commanded it, you're going to be obedient to him and not, not fall into unbelief of that command. Number two, do you believe God will bless your giving? Sometimes we think God is just wanting to play make-believe with us. Thus, we don't pray with faith to earnestly receive his best in our lives. However, if you truly believe your seed will meet your need, then you will give expecting a bountiful harvest from God. The tithe that you hold in your hand, that offering that you hold in your hand, is a seed that you will put into the ground that the Bible says will bear fruit for you. And that's why it's so important that we are faithful to the tithe and the offering and that we don't sow sparingly, that we sow generously so that you could reap generously. And number three, do you believe in heaven? Many people, even Christians, forget that there is an actual place called heaven where God can open the floodgates and pour out blessings. Therefore, if more people believed in heaven, they would store more treasures there than just here on earth. How many of you guys want your account in heaven to keep increasing? You do that through being faithful with your finances to the Lord because that's the account that we want to continue to increase as we reach our world for Jesus. Ultimately, we will spend eternity forever in heaven with the Lord, and that's where you want to have your treasures stored. In summary, overcome unbelief in giving by putting your faith in who God is and what he promised to do. How many of you guys believe who God says he said he is? Come on, we believe in his word and that he is not a man that he should lie. Let's apply this to our life in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithe. Number two, repent if you have not trusted and believed in God's word concerning giving. And three, ask God to increase your faith for both giving and receiving in his kingdom, and he will do it. If you believe that, let's confess this together on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. If that gets you excited, please stand up to your feet with me today as we prepare to plant our seed and give the Lord our best. Again, a tithe is 10% of our income. We give offering towards missions and towards building. Please be specific of the amount that you want to go towards each section there on the envelope. Here are four ways that you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry for that today. And number four, you could go online and use Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Let's recite this together over our life. Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your abundant blessings in our life. And that you have those floodgates ready to be opened and pour out, poured out upon us. I pray that we would overcome the hindrance of unbelief today in this room. That we would repent and trust you with the tithe and the offering. Believing, oh God, that your word is true that you commanded it, and that we want to be obedient to you. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver. Prosper us, O God, as we continue to reach the city and the nations for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give this, morning, this afternoon, and we thank you so much for your generosity.
All right, how many ready to get into the book of John? Can I hear an amen? Come on, say it like you are excited about Jesus like they were the Cubs. Can I get an amen? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. So good to see everybody here. I'm going to preach it like I did the first service by God's grace because I'm pumped about this message. I see Ishmael coming to the second service because he's ready for his talk about God and politics. Y'all want to make sure that you are here. We have a lot of visitors that are coming. I've promoted it on Facebook. Maybe about 2,000 people have heard about it. 70 to 100 say they're coming. I'm believing for 100. For 100 people, that would be a win for me. So I'd be excited about that. But uh, what's awesome about today is that you are going to hear, for example, our talk about Black Lives Matter from an African-American pastor living in the South, pastoring in the South. And he's going to bring up a lot of things that you need to hear. Talking about immigration, we're going to hear from the child of an illegal immigrant who is now a citizen heading on immigration. Where can you hear this? Then you're going to hear from Jared, a crazy white boy who's going to be talking about abortion and LGBT. And then you got me, your pastor, opening and closing with you guys getting some Q&A in between. Y'all better come. You have better come. This is going to be exciting. I don't know any church that tells it as it is as we do. Everybody can have their own opinion, but we are going to let people talk back at us. That's what I like to hear. And I invited Chicago Black Lives Matter. I haven't heard a response from them, but I thought about them and invited them. And if you want to bring anybody else that you think may have something to say, you bring them right here because we ain't scared. We ain't afraid of it. And even if you in our church, you disagree with the elders have to say, we okay? We're not made of glass. We're not scared. We're made of brick and stone, baby. We made a brick and stone. So come bring it on and enjoy it. And for those of you who are young and newly saved, maybe you haven't voted yet in a presidential election with your Christian beliefs in hand. Well, it's time for you to do that. And for some that may be a little bit older, it's time for you to consider what you're doing according to the principles of the Bible. And at the end of the day, we're not even talking about candidates. If the other speakers have that in their, their talks, that's fine. I'm not going to say anything against it. But my talk doesn't even have to do with candidates. It has to do with principles because that's the way I live. Candidates come and go and they'll all, uh, most of them, be jokers and, uh, and thieves and all of these things. But I'll tell you what, you got to vote according to your principles because principles stay the same. But anyways, come, check it out, kick the tires, bring your questions, bring your friends, bring your crazy friend, bring your neighbor, your crazy uncle, whatever. I think we have a couple quote-unquote crazy uncles coming. Some of the people I've known throughout my life, like they, they come in. So you all better come and bring it. I got you already laughing. Are you ready for it? Do you got your notes and everything? I can't wait to hear it. I'm really going to be excited about this. And it will be on Facebook, but don't stay home and do it on Facebook if you can come because it will be a lot more fun here. And I already got a great idea. I'm going to put the American flag here, the Christian flag there. We're going to start off with Pledge to Allegiance, and then we're going to sing You're the God of this City. And since Adam's not making it, I'm going to have you lead the song You're the God of this City. And then we're just going to love Jesus. And let me just say this again, too, because I'm seeing a lot of people that may have come from other countries, and this may be one of your first elections. That's this. Or, or one of your first elections as a Christian because I know we have a brother from Brazil. He just moved here. This is going to be awesome for you to see how uh, what you have heard about on the news, what Christians do in America with politics, you know, because a lot of you from other countries, you've heard about America and its Christian foundation, and you might be in Chicago going, I don't see any Christian foundation here. <laughs> well, you're going to hear a little bit of it today, the Christian foundation.
foundation of our nation. And then once again, who you vote for will be totally up to you. I mean, that's your American right, and we love that. We don't want to change what you do in your conscience. Be who you're going to be. The Bible says, let the one who sinned continue to sin. Let the one who's righteous be righteous. So we can't stop that. But I will say this 110%. When that is done and the mic is off and the thing is done, my hands are clean. <laughs> I'm walking off this pulpit, and I'm saying, whatever they do is whatever they do, because I, as a pastor, talked about it. And you know, you guys know, this is without me being sassy, you know there are pastors who are afraid to talk about it. I, I used to go to churches where they would say, well, don't talk to me about who I'm going to vote for. This is the pastor. Don't tell, ask me who I'm going to vote for because I'm not going to tell you, and I don't want you talking about it. But you see, I'm not one of those people that say, let's not talk about politics. Because, you know, you meet those people, too, at, at, at the grocery store, and you'll talk to them about God, and they'll be like, I don't talk about God or politics. All I ever want to talk about is God and politics. And what you're going to learn is it's all connected. It's all connected. Now, some of you may not like politics the way it's done today. I get it, but you got to vote to show that you don't like the way it's getting done. You've got to vote to show you're in disagreement to those things because people died so that you could have that right. Amen? And if you don't vote, somebody votes in your place and gets somebody that you don't like, and then you have no right to complain. Can I get an amen for that? I'm just excited. I almost want to skip this right now and just go right to the message I got. But I'm excited about John chapter 4, too. This is in the middle of our John series. If you have just joined with us, we're in the book of John to the end of the year. We started off in the introduction, and then we adopted the signs of John to be the weekly messages that we would have. Last week was, uh, or the week before last, was our first sign, which was on Jesus changing water to wine, which was the first sign, making some rhymes. <laughs> Okay, now today is the second sign, and this is a very unique one. It is a very unique one, and you're going to understand in just a little bit, but it's a miracle that a man asked Jesus to perform on behalf of his son, and today's message is not too proud to ask. Say that with me, one, two, three, not too proud to ask, and if you need the notes, they're online at our website or our Facebook page. Are you with me in John chapter 4, verse 43? Okay, now how many of you did your homework last week and read John 3 and 4? Okay, you're awesome. You're my favorites. Now for next week, we John chapter 5. I forgot to tell the first service this, but John chapter 5 is your homework assignment for next week. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 43, not too proud to ask. This is the second sign in the book of John. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Greek word country there literally means hometown. So don't let that word confuse you there. He's saying, I will not receive honor in my, home, in my own hometown. Verse 45, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Now, if you had read John chapters uh, you know, 2, 3, and 4, what's going on there in Jerusalem? What did he do there? Excuse me. He cleansed the temple. He kicked people out. He was whipping them. And they were actually cool with it. A lot of people are like, yeah, you do that. Those guys need it. And what was happening there is they were exchanging money for sacrifices, which was okay. Because if you came to Jerusalem with an animal, you didn't have any money to give. So you would trade your animal for the money and vice versa. If you came with money and didn't want to bring an animal all the way for a sacrifice, you would take the money and buy an animal. So whether you were taking uh, uh, animals, getting money in return, or taking your money and buying animals, there was supposed to be an exchange going 
going on. But it had taken over the temple. It had all become about business. And Jesus starts literally whipping them, overturning their tables, throwing them out, and says, my father's house, you've made my father's house a den of thieves, and it should be a house of prayer. Can I get an amen for that? We're not here as pastors to entertain you, keep selling things to you. I can't even tell you how much this grieves me as a pastor. Like, I just saw it again on Facebook. This, like, real famous pastor, and he is going to charge uh, other pastors to go to his little video conference to, to learn how to preach. Well, what blows my mind is... If he claims he got the gift from God, he needs to give it freely. Because the Bible says what you have freely received, freely give. So listen to the contradiction. This is what they'll say. Oh, God has anointed me. I'm a man of God. He's put his spirit upon me. And these are the lessons that you need. And it's only $15.99. Join me here. And it's like, hold on. If God gave it to you, it's supposed to be free. Now, which way do you want it? Do you want to say God gave it to you? Well, then it's supposed to be free. If you're going to say, no, God didn't give it to me. I just came up with it on my own. Then get out the church because you are, you, you, you deceiving us. You're a false teacher. You, you get my point. You can't have it both ways. You can't say God gave it to me, and then now I'm going to charge you. I think that we in the church can use money for good things. Like, we have to make the t-shirts, so if you want to buy the t-shirt, you got to get the material. That's not freely given to me. Does everybody get that? So it's, I have to pay for it to bring it here, so then there's a turnaround cost. And so whatever we make off that, we put it right back in the ministry. It just makes sense. It's practical. But if I'm going to preach to you a message like today and say, God gave me this message... It better be F-R-E-E free. Now, I know some pastors used to put them on CDs and tapes. I mean, that makes sense. They have to get the tape. You get it. Whatever they have to pay for, they're turning around that cost to you. What I just don't understand is how three DVDs started costing 40, 50 bucks, you know? I just, I started, I started trying to figure that out because I, I used to do something on TV as well, and uh, I wanted partners to give, and I would give them a, a DVD if they gave, and I would give it to them for free even if they didn't. i say, if you want it, come and get it. Believe it or not, I used to be on TV. I don't know if you all believe that, but I was. You remember some of those days. And so the long story short is, like, you could get, like, a stack of 1,000 DVDs for, like, 200 bucks. Like, you can even just look it up online. How much can you get 1,000 DVDs for? So no matter what, there's a lot of shucking and jiving going on in the church. And Jesus went there, and he cleansed the temple. And they were there, and they were cool with it. And now let's keep going. Verse 46, he goes back to Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official. Now, this is where we're going to get into the sign. Whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard, everybody say, he heard. Thank you. He heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea. He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now, this is where I could have named the message, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, okay? I could have named it that, but I didn't want us to get a little silly on the message and then forget what we're here to do. And also, the word beg is in the... Uh, NIV version, but it's not what we would think of as beg. It's actually a strong ask, like implore, entreat. So what we want to think here is not like a, a person getting pulled over for a speeding ticket, and they're going, man, don't give me a ticket. Come on, please, please, please. It's, it's not a begging that, that shows a shame to the person. 
This kind of a begging is really a pleading uh, with integrity because the person wants it so bad and he knows there's no other option. As if you were uh, going through a famine and you were starving and you were like, please, just give me something to eat. Please give me something to eat. And the reason I want to differentiate that is because a lot of times when we think of beg, we think of beg like a shameful thing, like a beggar. Like, you could have done something about this. Why are you begging right now? You know, go get a job. This is not that kind of, of request. It's really an implore and entreatment. But what I also want you to see here is there's two difficulties. If you've done your homework and you've been doing this, thinking through the assignments, you've probably realized there's a similar story like this in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now remember, the synoptic gospels come from the word synonymous. They're in agreement with each other. They were all written basically around the same time. And so what synoptic gospel, the synoptic gospels have is a story that's similar to this, but not the same. And so the scholars have a bit of a disagreement. Is John telling this story very differently? Because there's a lot of different things, or at least a few significant things that would make it different. Or is this a totally unique story? So this is something that I had to think about before I preached it to you, because it matters how we study the Bible. Okay, so the first thing is the story in the Synoptic Gospels is different in these significant ways. First of all, it's a pagan centurion that's asking for the miracle. Do you all remember that? I see some heads nodding, okay? Then the other significant difference is that he sends a convoy, some ambassadors to represent him. And that even actually causes a difference between even the Synoptic Gospels. One says he came and one says a servant came in his place. And so the reason or the way that we rectify that is that it was a servant, but it spoke on his behalf, saying his words. That's why it would have looked like in the one gospel that it was him literally, but it wasn't. It was someone speaking on his behalf. And then lastly, the reason why this is important, that he's a pagan, is that his faith is really... Jesus is really excited about his faith. It says he hasn't found such great faith in Israel because the man talks about being under authority and with authority. I don't believe this is the same story. This man is made to look out. He's called a royal official, though it could be applied to a centurion, but it would be a very, very, very big stretch. This, I believe, royal official speaks to someone in Herod's court, who Herod was a convert from being a Gentile to a Jew, who was over the Jewish people in Jerusalem and had set up a monarchy and a system, um, I mean, a class of royalty there, and this man is working for him, and I believe that tells a a different story about a Jewish man coming as a royal official. And then the other thing that makes it different is that it's very clear it's the man. It's not a servant coming on behalf of the man. It's the man himself. Now, why does that matter? It matters when you're studying the book of John because, as I said before, John's material is 90% unique from the synoptic gospels. And what we need to do is understand this is a unique story that the other Gospels didn't contain. So there's something important about this. Now, in the book of John, this is going to be called the second sign. And it's the second, uh, it's the second sign, but it's the first sign that involves a, a miracle of healing. Now, Jesus had been healing earlier in the book of John, but this is now where they actually tell the story. He names the person's, uh, you know, talks about a specific person and then tells us the, the miracle. So the sign has significance to John because it's unique from the synoptic gospels and there's something that we need to learn here that wasn't in the story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is a very unique thing to John, so we ought to pay attention. And in, in summary, 
a man hears that Jesus is in town, his son is sick and dying, and he begs Jesus to save him. Uh, to, to heal him. Now, this is unique because Jesus responds back, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Now, the question is here, this is the second issue that I had to deal with when, when wanting to preach this to you, is why, is why in the world is Jesus all of a sudden rebuking the people in this audience and saying this directly to this man? Well, this is where we go back to the synoptic stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where they really help us. If you go back up here, it almost looks like a contradiction in John. See if you can catch it as we look at it again. Jesus points out in verse 44 that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. But then in verse 45, when he, when he goes to his own hometown, they welcome him. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction? He's telling them, when I go back home, people aren't going to like me. In the very following verse, it says people liked him. They welcomed him. Well, this is now where we have to understand what John is doing. John is condensing the stories and the time frame of the synoptic gospels to fit into this one specific miracle, which they did not talk about. So that's very, uh, un that's that's the very foundation why I believe this is a different story. He he's taking that time frame and and condensing it, but for the purpose of telling something they missed. Now, why is that important to know that one caveat? Because this rebuke fits into the story of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is he is in his hometown. It starts off well, then they turn on him. At first, they're like, hey, you came back home. We're so excited. You were over there beating up everybody. You've been doing miracles. Now keep doing them. Keep doing them. Do this, do that, do this. And it was almost like they wanted him to put on a magic show. And when he doesn't do that, and when he doesn't do what they want to do, now they get mad at him, start calling him names, start picking on him, going, well, we know where you come from. We know your mother. We know your father. And that's why he's saying this rebuke. But remember, John is saying this for a reason to get you to look at, in the midst of that rebuke, is this individual called the royal official. The royal official is there in the middle of the rebuke, but he's not going to back down. He's going to get his miracle. Look at the man's response after the rebuke. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And uh, if I didn't say this before, in the other... Um, story in the synoptic gospels about the centurion it was a servant not a son just another difference there he said go your son will live the man took jesus at his word and departed everybody say he took jesus at his word Amen. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that was the exact time when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his household, his whole household believed. Verse 54, here it is. This was the what sign? The second sign, thank you, Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So let's just put it together so you all don't get too confused. Hopefully you've learned something about the Gospel of John here. Jesus is coming back to his hometown. The synoptic Gospels tell us they accept him, but then they turn on him. John tells us a very similar story, but in a condensed form. In the middle of him rebuking these people because they just want him to be a magician, there is a very specific person known as the royal official who wants Jesus to heal his son. He's not too proud to ask. Jesus rebukes the people, tells him the rebuke as well, but he is tenacious, he's persistent, he keeps asking, he gets 
gets the miracle by Jesus' word, he then has to take him at his word, head home. He finds out it happened just as Jesus had said at the right time. And then he and his whole household believed. Now that's for us today. Remember, John's writing us these signs for us to believe. So let's go to the introduction for today's message and let's learn what we can get out of this sign. Here's what I believe we can get from this sign. Oftentimes, we miss out on what God has for us because we are too proud to really implore and ask Jesus to meet our needs. In our modern culture, we think too highly of ourselves and too little of God. Get that in your heart today. In our culture, you ask people, how big are your problems? Oh, my problems are this big. How big are the problems of Chicago? They're this big. How big are the problems in our nation? They're this big. How big are the problems in the world? They're this How big is Jesus? This big. How big is Jesus? This big. How much faith do you have in Jesus? This much. Now, thankfully, this much can change the world and move a mountain, but we make our problems so big and Jesus so small. And what this is teaching us is that Jesus is big and our problems are small compared to him. Jesus doesn't even have to go to the location. He speaks the word and the miracle comes. This man did not think more highly of himself and less of God. He thought more of God and less of himself. Not in a demeaning way. Not to say, oh, I'm trash and garbage. Nobody loves me. Nobody realized his limitations. Humility isn't putting yourself down. It's just knowing who you are and who God made you to be. If it's, not, it's, it's, it's not humility to say you're ugly when God said you're beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made. That, that's stupidity. That's not humility. Amen? It's, it's stupid to argue with God. How many believe that? If God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made and you keep saying you're ugly, that's dumb. Don't be dumb. Be, be, don't be a fool. Don't argue with God. Believe what he said. Amen? And it's not humility to say, I can't do something that Jesus said you can do. Well, I can't have a blessed marriage. It will just never work out. That's not humility. What do we call that? Stupidity. That's foolishness because God said you can have a blessed marriage. What he's joined, marriage, what he's joined together, no one tear apart. But, but what pride is, is to think of yourself in a way that God doesn't think about you. And, and once again, a lot of times, like, we, we think pride is believing what is true if you say it maybe in a way that's a little sassy. And I don't necessarily always think that's, that's pride. So, for example, if you're Michael Jordan and you just won your sixth world championship, you can stand on that court and be like, I'm the best joker out here. Y'all can't compete. Now, that's not pride to me. That's just telling it as it is. If you didn't like the fact about him being the best, then why didn't you beat him? You know, there's no pride to me of a Chicago Cub fan going, we are champions. Champions, we're the best, right? You just proved it. There's no more argument. You can't do the World Series over again. That's not how it works. So what, what I think humility is, is knowing who God says you are. Pride is arguing with who God says you are. So I think at times we, we get it all messed up. We think it's pride to say that I belong to a great church, that my pastor is the best pastor in the whole world. He preaches better than any pastor. We think that, I'm just kidding. We think that's pride, but that's just telling the truth. No, we think it's pride sometimes to do it, but no, Jesus knew who he was, the son of God, and it was never prideful to say who he was. Moses wrote in the Bible, he was the most meekest man in the, on, on, on the planet. That wasn't pride. Knowing who God says you are is now pride. Pride is disagreeing with God. So at this time, the man, for the man to say, well, I'm a nobody, I'm not a royal official, that's pride. That's stupidity. You are a royal official. That's who you are. But it would be pride for him to think as a royal official he doesn't need God. 
So this is where we get leveled out here. See, rich people can be humble and poor people can be proud. Educated people can be humble and ignorant people can be proud. See, sometimes we think it's always rich, educated people, they're proud, and the poor and the, and, and the uneducated, they're always humble, and that's just not true. When I used to do ministry in the projects in New Orleans, I literally thought coming as the missionary that I was going to be like their savior, like not like Jesus, capital S, savior, but like, dun, da, 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 like that kind of a savior. Like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to take you out the projects. I'm going to help you get your education. I'm going to bring you to see the world. Well, you know, and, and what I found out is that they loved their sin. That they love their dirty parks. They love their drug dealing. They love their baka baka fest and their back it up uh, DJs in the, in the park. They love their sin. As a matter of fact, I remember one time we were going to a camp in Mississippi and, and we only had like 10 youth show up. And I, told, I said to the youth, uh, the youth workers, I said, we got about 50 kids. This is impossible. Why are only 10 wanting to come? We're going to Mississippi. Like, I wanted to go to this camp. Like, we're going to go swimming. We're going to go hiking. We're going to play indoor basketball. All of these things, right? Are you listening to me? And they said, no, this was, this was it. And I said, I don't believe you. I said, let's go to their houses. Let's go talk to their parents. And we begged them, begged them to come to the camp. They finally agreed to come, a, a handful of them. We got them in the van. We drove them out there. They got mad. They cussed at us. They stabbed my youth worker, Glenn, with a pencil, cussed at us, said, you take us home. You take They were belligerent with us. We then had to drive in the middle of the night to take them home, and they cussed out the driver all the way home. Because men love sin. Men love sin. You, you would have thought that somebody who had nothing would have saw it as a paid vacation. But you see, poor can be prideful. Rich can be prideful. Now, it's easy to point out the richest pride, but I just wanted to throw that back at you because the hero of this story here is the royal official. See, he had enough sense to know, I can't make this problem go away with all my money. And he had enough sense in him, what some people don't have. See, some people don't have enough money to realize that money won't solve your problems. If you think money will solve your problems, you just don't have enough money yet. Some people think education will solve their problems. You just don't have enough education yet. You haven't sat down with enough, enough PhDs and doctorates. You know, I sat in my uh, cemetery, I mean seminary classes, with all these PhDs and doctorates, and I'm realizing, like, man, if me getting my degree makes me like you, I don't know if I want one because I'm happier than you. I love Jesus more than you. If knowing what you know makes you look like or like that, I don't know if I want to suck on sour lemons. I'm just being honest with you. Because the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, but love edifies. But can you have smart, loving people? Yes. But they're not, they're not synonymous. Just remember that. I even, and, and Ish will tell you, we went to Mexico. We were in a village. We were preaching. And I had a, 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 a deed of the flesh or something I was going to talk about with pride and all these things. And I said, man, let me just skip over this because I think you guys are so humble because I'm literally out in the back of their yard preaching in a home church with dirt floors. And I'm just thinking there is no way these people are prideful. And the, and the pastor and the people said, no, preach on that. And you remember that. And all it took was me working with the people in that village for a little bit and then I realized you're just as prideful as anybody else because once again that doesn't determine your humility and so in our culture we need to be careful let me just say this again that we think too highly of ourselves and too little of God and that can be for any nationality for any economic status for any educational background does everybody get that 
As a result, thank you, of our technologies and our access to medicine, especially in the area of, of miracles here for healing, we oftentimes neglect to rely on God because I can get glasses, because I can see a doctor. We forget to pray. I remember Dr. Belga, a great physician that came from the Philippines, came literally from the bottom to the top, worked his way up through medical school, came to this country, was an amazing family doctor. When I didn't have insurance, I went to go see him. And you know what he did? He would pray before and after every time I went to him because he knew despite all of our medical breakthroughs, all that we could do with medicine, thank God for it, he still knew he wanted to rely on God. So what kind of doctor do you want? A doctor that thinks they're God or a doctor that relies on God? Amen? So I pray we can be encouraged by this today to see that this man was not too proud to ask God for help. That's the lesson that I think the sign is showing us here. He wasn't too proud to ask God for help. Look at Jeremiah in the heart of God for us so that we should want to ask him for help. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got plans for you. Come on, tell somebody, God's got plans for you to give you what? Burning hellfire and torture? Isn't that sometimes the way people think about God? God just wants to send me to hell. God wants to take away all my fun. God wants to take away my boyfriend, girlfriend, my house at the lake. No, the Bible says God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Trust me, whatever is in God's plans is the best plan. Then you will call on me and come to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So don't you think that's a part of the story here? This man heard about Jesus. What do you think he heard about Jesus? He was having conferences and charging $39.95 to get in. Is that what he was hearing? And then you would get a free booklet and a T-shirt that you said you went to the conference? What was he hearing about Jesus? Was he hearing about Jesus, that Jesus was doing worship con uh, concerts? Was, was Jesus, you know, putting on plays? Was Jesus reenacting the life of Moses and the amphitheaters of Rome? What do you think that man heard? What that man probably heard was something like this. God is among us. God is speaking through his son. And the son is telling us that the kingdom of God is coming to the earth. Everything Jesus did was to reveal the father's heart about the kingdom. See, there's healing in heaven. And so Jesus was showing us that as it is in heaven, it can be on earth. So every healing was to show us what heaven is like. Every dry eye that Jesus, every tears that Jesus wiped away to dry eyes to say, you know, weep no more, mourn no more, be free, be set free. Every person he set free from oppression and slavery and all of those things, he did it because he wanted to show them what heaven was like. That heaven was freedom. That heaven was, that heaven was the most joyous place to be. And so I believe that's what the man knew about Jesus from what he heard. And we're going to get to that with blind Bartimaeus because blind Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus too and cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so this is where we need to start as we get into the lesson. But before we do, let's review the seven signs of John. The first one is changing water into wine. We talked about that last week. And what does that remind us of? That Jesus changes the dry areas of our life, puts water in there, because they were empty at first. He puts water in there, and then he doesn't just put water in there. He makes wine, and wine gets better with age. How many of you are getting better with age? Jesus has sanctified you at the day you got saved, but how many know you're growing into that gift that he's given you, the callings that he's placed within you? You got some wine, but it's turning into fine wine as the days go by, sweeter and sweeter, amen? The next one is healing, the healing of the royal official's son. And I believe today we're going to learn about humility and asking God for what we need, truly believing that he's our only hope and going after him, not relying upon ourselves, but relying on him. 
Uh, the week next, we'll talk about uh, healing the paralytic. That's the third one. The fourth one is healing of the 5,000. Then Jesus walking on water. Healing of the blind man, as I just mentioned. And then the last one is the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Now, at the, book of, at the end of the book of John, John reminds us again why the signs are so important. How many signs are there really in the book of John? Seven signs. Look at what he says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So like the synoptic gospels talk about a lot of the miracles of Jesus, they actually have more than the book of John. He understands that, which are not recorded in this book, but these, everybody say, but these. These seven, these seven specific ones were written that you may believe that Jesus is the what? And the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. That's why we're studying the book of John. How many believe in Jesus? How many believe he's the Messiah? How many believe he's the Son of God? How many are receiving life? So let's go to this passage here. Let's break it down a little bit and see if we can get some good nuggies for it. Are you all ready? Okay, so we see that Jesus comes to his hometown of Galilee. Nazareth, Nazareth is in Galilee. Also, Cana is in Galilee. So what probably is happening here is Jesus shows up at Nazareth. And as he goes to his hometown, he tells the disciples the reason why they don't believe in him is because they don't know, they don't know him as the Son of God, but only as Mary's son. And so the non-Jewish people, like the Samaritans, remember Jesus at the well with the woman? She was a Samaritan. They're believing in him. And then fishermen are believing in him. But why aren't the Jews and the sophisticated people believing in him? Because he's not coming the way they thought he would come. Yet to all who did receive him got to become children of God. So what's the application that we get right here in this passage? The application that we get is that we need to stop looking for Jesus to be who we want him to be and to receive him for who he is. So, right, let's go to that hometown scenario. Here comes Jesus. He's already wrecked the temple, and he's done some miracles in Samaria. You think he owes you something now. Maybe you're a Jewish leader, and you've read the Bible, and you think it's time for him to conquer people. Or you're looking at him, expecting him to shine or to glow like Moses would after he came down from the mountain, yet he's not doing any of those things now. He's not setting up a kingdom. He don't even look good. I mean, you watch these Jesus' movies, Jesus movies. The actor they have is like the Brad Pitt. You would think that this guy could be in a boy band. He has the flowing hair, the blonde hair, the eyes, the, the nice beard. This is not the Bible, Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 53, the Bible, Jesus said, there was nothing attractive about him. See, David was attractive, the Bible says. Saul was strong in appearance and looked like a king, but Jesus didn't. And I know that Ishmael will not take this personally, but Jesus might have looked just like Ishmael. A guy that you would just look at and go, Ishmael, just stand up so people who can see who you are. You, now, why don't they cast this guy to be Jesus in the play? <laughs> This is the one that they should cast to be in the play. Because literally they said there was nothing about him, nothing about him that would draw us to him. And if you're not robbing his wife, there's probably no reason to be drawn to him physically. You know, and I don't mean to say that in a bad way, but <laughs> I'm picking on him. But no, me too. I'm not the Brad Pitt. You know, I'm not that good looking guy either. And I can relate to this. But, but, but once again, if you're thinking Jesus is going to look like David, he's going to have a chiseled chin. 
He's going to have his hair flowing. He's going to be conquering all the enemies. You can be disappointed. Or if you saw what Jesus did at the temple and he's destroying everything and now he comes to your hometown, it's like, well, you know, destroy the synagogue or do what Elijah did, call down fire or take this stuff to another level, like make the Red Sea part, make the Galilean Sea part. And what happened, now watch this, by them looking for another kind of Jesus, they missed the real Jesus right in front of them. How often do we do that? Let's start with the Jesus that doesn't like our sin. We're looking for the Jesus that's okay with our sin. And Jesus of the Bible says, I'm not okay with your sin. So while you're looking for the Jesus that's okay with your sin, you really miss the real Jesus who says, I want to deliver you from your sin. What about the Jesus that says, I'll walk with you through the hard times of your life, and you're only wanting party Jesus. You're only wanting DJ Jesus. You're only wanting wedding time Jesus, but you're missing the Jesus that's your shepherd that has a rod and staff to walk with you through a hard time. So at the funeral, you're mad at party Jesus because party Jesus wasn't supposed to let that person die. But the real shepherd Jesus is there going, come into my arms. Let me walk you through this. How often do we miss the real Jesus because we're looking for a make-believe Jesus, a Jesus that, that we think he should be? And what the royal official son does for us is shows us how to recognize the real Jesus. You see, he's not getting caught up in that. He's not getting caught up in what others are thinking about him. By the time he shows up from Capernaum, the travel that he makes, he is in full desperation. So whatever rebuke is happening there in Jesus' hometown, he's like, y'all are crazy. You can think about him whatever you want. But I know who he is and what he means to me. To the centurion, he was everything. To the others, he wasn't anything. He was just Joseph's son, Mary's son. The next thing that we see is that as this man comes, he comes begging Jesus, almost like he's falling on his knees. That reminds me of the story with the woman and the issue of blood. There's crowds around Jesus. Everybody can get a miracle, but nobody is getting a miracle. Aside from the one woman who's so desperate after years of bleeding, she reaches and lunges for Jesus and falls and touches just but the hem of his garment, yet she receives the miracle. Power leaves God's body, uh, Jesus' body. He says, what happened? happened something by just touched me and they say to him well everybody's touching you but he's like you didn't touch me like that somebody touched me wanting a miracle they withdrew from God the miracle uh, this woman withdrew from God the miracle and so what we see is as Jesus is going about doing the father's will he always had time for those who were desperate for him he didn't have time for the haters and the detractors he didn't have time to try to prove it. Like, look, Pokemon, fire from my hands. Like, no, he wasn't going to be there, David Copperfield. Those guys, it was like, talk to the hand. I ain't got time for you. But he had time for a man to beg him to do a miracle. What that tells me right here is that there's a lesson that we all need to know, that we should not be too proud to beg and ask Jesus to do a miracle. That we should come to Jesus in that same way. Not proud, like as if we're just going to throw Jesus a prayer like a quarter at a wishing well. Like, you know, God, I'm pretty smart and I've done pretty good for myself in life. But it would just be nice if you would do this one little miracle because I deserve it. And just flick that quarter in the wishing well. That's not how this man came. This man came in humility going, I have no other hope. If this man is who he said he is, the son of God among us, then this is my only hope. And me coming to him any other way will not get the right response. 
All I'll receive from him is a stiff hand. The Bible actually says that, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so this tells me that even as a pastor, if I try to just throw out my prayers as quarters in a wishing well, God's not going to come and respond to me. I can come in my own pompous pride and go, well, God, I'm a pastor, and I've done all this for you. And look at all the sacrifices that I've done. Yet that is going to keep Jesus walking away because he's not responding to that. Yet if I come to Jesus as a pastor and I go, Jesus, I love you so much. You're my only hope. You're the only thing that makes life worth living, the joy of the ministry. I just ask you today to bless this church. You see, I come with the right attitude. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You see, you could come to God as that hardworking man, you know, working all day, 12-hour days, and just throw him that quarter prayer at your dinner table. Oh, God, I did it all anyway. I worked hard. I, I put the bread on this table. I provided for this house. Well, well just bless it, Jesus. And then you, you can wonder why you're so stressed out in life. Or you can come to that table and go, God, I'm just so thankful that you gave me strength to work today. You provided for my every need. You've blessed me with this food. The family around this table, Lord, we just ask you to show up. Show us your glory as we enjoy this meal. Which house do you think God is showing up at? He's showing up at the place where the people aren't too proud to beg. They're not too proud to ask Jesus to do a miracle. I would just like to ask you today, do you think America has a problem with miracles because God has changed? Or do you think we've gotten a wee bit too proud for him? We're just a little bit too good for that old spiritual stuff. We're just a little too smart to pray. We've studied psychology too much. We've, we've taken psychology 101, and now we can explain the world, right? We've taken one history class, and so we can explain everything. We're, we're just so beyond that prayer stuff. I, I would propose to you that the problems of America are based on our reliance upon ourselves. What you see in America is what happens when men rely upon themselves. We're actually not as capable as we think we are. We're not as capable of having marriages like we think we can without him. That's why we're, we're having so many divorces. We're not as capable of teaching our children in schools as we think we are when we've taken prayer out. And we're not as capable as we think we are to run our government and spend money when we say that he has no place in it. The application that I get from the royal official is that I don't ever want to be too proud to ask Jesus to do something in my life. Then we see the rebuke, that happy moment that Jesus has with the people directed toward this man. It's almost, it's almost comical if it wasn't true. He's looking right at the man begging. The man is begging for his son to be healed. He has nothing to do with the issues in the hometown, and yet he looks right at him and delivers the rebuke that everybody needs to hear, but he gives it to him. I mean, you can kind of understand this. If you come to my church and I start preaching and I start spitting, you might catch a lot of the spittle for the message that's for everybody. And thank God that everybody doesn't get spat upon. But you'll see them every now and then in the glisten of the light. And they'll just go, you know. And I look at the front row and I'm just like, y'all right, y'all right. But honestly, it's like you'll take it because I'm at Pastor Joe's church, you know. And here's this, this you know, poor guy. He's taken the licking for all of these communities, for all of these people. But you know what I love about this is that he can take it. 
It's like Jesus is saying, I'll rebuke this guy who had nothing to do with your scenario, and I'll show you that he'll take it and keep on, take a licking and keep on ticking. And the reason why you're not going to see a miracle is because you get offended at everything I do. I can just see that being the, the implication here because I can't think of any other reason why Jesus looks at him. Jesus tells him, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. And the guy's like, I believe. That's why I'm here. And so what it tells us about this big picture of what was going on is that they wanted Jesus to be that magician. They wanted Jesus to probably do greater things. And so what does this give us as an application today? Jesus is not our personal genie. And he's not our magician that we ask him to perform tricks for us when, when we get bored. He's our great God and Savior. And so that means when he rebukes you and tells you your heart's wrong, you get your heart right. Are you asking God to meet your needs or fulfill your greeds? And if he looks at you and says, all you're doing is just asking me to meet your greeds, you say, yes, Lord, and tell me what my needs are. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray as we ought to. And this man teaches us that Jesus is more than a magician, more than a genie. Do you ever treat Jesus like that? I feel like sometimes we do. I feel like we come to him just with our personal want list. I mean, when was the last time you started off your prayer just what the Bible says to do? Our Father in heaven, honoring him. Hallowed be your name. When was the last time you spent thanking God for 20 things in your life before you asked him for the next new thing you need? I think this man reminds us here that Jesus is not here to prove something, but Jesus is here to do something. See, Jesus is not to prove himself. Remember, the, the book of John shows us that there's signs he's doing so that we might believe. But the signs aren't to prove it like as if do another one and then we'll believe and he's on that agenda. No, the signs are to reveal heaven so that we'll trust in who he is. And so it's not asking him to prove it. It's just saying, I believe that you can do it. You are this man, and you've shown me. And these people had already seen quite enough signs to believe. How many know if it's just you saw uh, the, the water turn into wine, that's enough. That's enough. Okay, God's among us. I believe the, the party's here. You know, if you're going to be honest and say that he's not a magician playing tricks, like he's teaching you all these other things, and he goes, boom, here I am, and here's the, here's the miracle. That's all really the only one I needed. I'm good. Now let's move on. And yet, they wanted more. And so I don't want us to get into a trap of always wanting more to believe more. Let's believe in God because of what he's already done. Let's believe in God because of who he said he is. Let's show ourselves to be people of faith, not the doubting, unbelieving people who seek signs for him to prove something. Because the Bible says, do not test the Lord your God. Don't put him in your little Sunday school room or your little kindergarten class and give him tests and expect him to fill it out, hand it to you so you can stamp pass on it. Like, oh, you're a good God. You proved yourself to me. Let's come to him and say, you are a good God because you've already done all these things. Can I get an amen on that? The royal official, of course, he doesn't back down. He's persistent. He continues to go on with what he came to do. He's like, okay, he takes the rebuke and goes right to the thing. Well, sir, come down and heal my child before he dies. And that basically just means, Jesus, whatever it takes, I want you to come. And then Jesus says, go. It's been done. And Jesus asks him to take it at his word. And think about that when we come to Jesus asking him to do things. Are we willing to take him at his word? Think about this for a second. Imagine you go to heaven and you're healed in heaven. How many believe you're going to be healed in heaven? When do you think Jesus is going to say you were actually healed when you get to heaven? He's going to point to the cross and say, that's when I healed you. You're going to say, but hold on, God, I just got healed now. I didn't experience it then. He's like, no. You may not have experienced it all, but that's where it was paid for. That's where you were healed. And so when you started believing it on earth, that's when you started receiving it. Up here is where the fulfillment comes. 
we got to take God at his word because past, present, and future is the same to God. He can interact with us in time, but he doesn't see it linearly. He sees it circular. In God is time. Think of it as a ball. Everything is in that ball. It's already done, accomplished. Everything has already been settled. He already knows who's in heaven. There's no empty chairs. And so he'll experience these things with us in linear time as days, you know, seasons come and end. But to him, it's already done. He sees the end from the beginning. Are you listening to me? And so when we get there and we get healed, we'll say, I got healed now. He'll say, you got healed then. When, when we get saved, we say, I got saved now. And he said, I saved you then. Are you listening to me? The Bible says in 1 John, he is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Salvation has already come to the whole world. They just didn't receive it or believe it. So when they go to hell, it's not going to be because they couldn't have gone to heaven. He'll say, your debt was paid here. Look, there it was. He's going to show them the cross. Your sins were already paid. You just denied it. You just went against it. You get what you want a world without me. Not saved. You're not saved. You're not being saved right now. So for us, can we take Jesus at his word between the time of the promise and the fulfillment on the journey that we take? The man hears the word from Jesus. He's healed. Go. And he journeys. Then he hears, son is healed, reverts, asks them when it happened, goes back, and they say, it happened at the time Jesus said. See, there is the sign. The sign is when we trust God and we ask him to do things, he'll do it when we ask him to, and we'll experience it maybe at a different time. But we trust him in that journey. We trust that God does all things for his glory and his timing, and we see the miracle when he wants us to see the miracle, and we don't think he's ever let us down. I'm not going to get duped into believing just because I don't see it means God hasn't done it. When I get to heaven, some of the things that maybe apparently didn't look like they were done or things that I asked, I believe I'll understand more fully then. But as I shared with you the ball of time or the circle of time, that's the way I'm going to look at it right now. And don't tell me any different because I'm happy like this. Okay, I'm telling you, man, I, because I've thought this every which way you can get to it. And I, I just believe that taking Jesus at his word is what in us creates the trust and creates in us the ability to see God for who he is. I can actually see my entire life that way, that when I get to heaven, God will say, the day you got saved, all of this was already planned. I just let you in on the plan. You lived out every step and everything that I said. And here you see the end of it. But the day you got saved, the end was already written. I just wanted you to trust me. Think of the scriptures that confirm with that. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The Bible says we were predestined in him in him to be raised up and, and glorified with him. So in God's mind, this thing we call time and our, our troubles and our trials have never separated us from his promise. It's just the journey we take. And then we just have to ask our question, why does he want us to take the journey? What is the purpose of us having the journey between the promise and the fulfillment? And there must be something there that helps us to love him and trust him more. And so as you get the promise and you journey towards the reward, are you willing to sing your songs of praise? In this life, from the moment you've gotten saved till you see him in heaven, are you willing to sing your songs of praise? Through the times that you're going through a broken marriage, are you willing to see, sing your songs of praise? And whatever you see die on this world, are you believing that God can resurrect it in the world to come? Because there may be things that do get lost that we prayed for, but still believing that in the world to come, we will say, God, you kept your words. You did everything you said you would do. I choose to believe that. Can I hear an amen? So that's why he and his whole household believed is because God kept his word. There were no tricks up Jesus' sleeve. And what I believe that means for us today is that we need to be persistent with Jesus in prayer like the man was. Take him at his word and journey with him towards the miracle.
So let's take, for example, what I'm praying for in this church, 100,000 disciples. Let's say 20, 50 years from now, whatever, I am pastoring a church of 100,000. Jesus is going to say, isn't this awesome what I did? And I'm going to say, yes, Lord. And he's going to ask me, when did I do it? And I don't want to say you did it at the day we got the 100,000th member. I want to say, God, you did it the day we prayed. And we just journeyed with you. Come on, somebody, get that. I just journeyed with you with your promise. Isn't that really what faith is? Faith is not hope in a thing called hope. Faith is hope in Jesus. It's the one who holds all things in his hands and sees the beginning from the end. And so I want to ask you today, what journey are you on? What places are you going in life with the promises of God in your heart expecting to receive the reward? And the Bible says what you do for him, that you're, the hope you put in him will never be disappointed. Can I show you that scripture? Those who hope in Jesus will never be disappointed. I want to show you that before we go. This is a little lanyard. That's K. Joan for something extra. Turn with me quickly here to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Look at this passage and see if you can be encouraged as we get ready to close out today. In hope does not shame us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And let me say, hope in him never disappointed. I want to get it. It's another one too. Oh, unless it's a different version. Let me see. Um, Romans chapter 5 and the King James. Let me see. I want to show you guys this. Let's go here. There it is. See, I learned a lot of my scriptures were in King James, and I knew the word disappoint was in there. You see here in the NIV, it says, and hope does not put us to shame. Do you see that? Shame. I think the word disappoint is better for us. It says uh, here in the King James, and hope make, uh, rather the new King James, now hope does not what? Disappoint. Now, that does carry the uh, connotation of shame because if uh, you're hoping for your uh, uh, wife, or let's say husband, is hoping for his wife to cook something when he comes home and he doesn't come home, he's a little bit disappointed, right? But let's say he's told all of his friends, my wife cooks the best meals every day I come home. She's always got the best meals. You need to come home with me. You need to come check it out. And it just happens to be that day she forget, forgets to cook the meal. The disappointment is like a shame, isn't it? It's like, wow, wow. I'm disappointed and I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. But, but here, here's what I want us to get. We're not going to be disappointed or ashamed. And I really want you to get this in your heart. Any hope you press towards God, anything in your life you press towards God, you'll never be disappointed in. Even the things you may not see in this life will be fulfilled in the world to come as you journey with the Lord. Amen? So many things we God has promised us that we may not see until that day, but I'm, I'm believing I'm going to see it. And yet, I'm not putting all my hope with a pie in the sky. I'm believing that there are things like that man that I can even see in this world. How many believe that? How many believe you can see miracles here? Your family changed here. Nations changed here. Amen. And then lastly, let's put these uh, things together before we close out, and let's review these applications from the sign. Number one, stop looking for Jesus the way you want him to be and receive him for who he is. Look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I take you for who you are. You are the Lord and Savior of my life, and I receive your words. I receive your teachings, not a make-believe mirage of you. 
Number two, let's not be too proud to beg and ask Jesus to do a miracle. In a few moments at the end of this service, we're going to pray and ask God to do miracles in our life. I'm going to challenge you to do that with all your heart, to do it like you mean it. Pray like you're serious. Go to God like it means something. Don't be distracted by a storefront, church. Don't be distracted by the friends around you, who's not here or who is here. Don't be distracted by the time. Be like this royal official who did not care what people thought about him, but was able to come to Jesus, shut all that out, and say, my miracle will come today because I need it today. This is where I need it to be. Amen? Sometimes we think we're going to go to a big cathedral and have a miracle. What if the dead got raised here? Amen? What if your life got changed here and it never happened at a cathedral? What if God said, I meet you in the most least likely of places where you're the most hungry, the most desperate? I think also about this royal official. I didn't get a lot of time to talk about this. But this royal official literally could have walked in there with pomp and had a lot of people do errands for him. But he came himself and he begs Jesus. And that showed the world, oh my gosh, if this guy is going to beg Jesus, how much more should I beg Jesus? Let's just think about that for a second in the context of the Cubs. Anybody here of Zobris? The guy who hit that really game-scoring point in the 10th round. Am I saying his name right, Zobris? Everybody looked at me with blank stares. Because nobody has heard about him. Let me tell you about him then. So there's a guy named Zobris who plays for the Cubs. And they were in the 10th inning, which is uh, overtime. And he's the one that hit the bat, that hit the, the double, I guess. A hit, and he got the guy in. Game seven, last game of the World Series. Well, guess what? If you ask most Cubs fans, at that moment, what would you do to win the game? Would you, would you uh, eat? A thousand sour eggs or something. You know, would you dance on fire? Would you do anything? Would you pray to a golden statue? Like they would probably, a lot of sinners would do whatever it takes to see that happen. But the man who did that and won the MVP stood up in our downtown on the stage and gave glory to God. So listen to me. When your idols bow down to Jesus, you're worshiping the wrong thing. If you make an idol out of the Cubs and the guy on the Cubs tells you, I worship Jesus, stop worshiping the Cubs. You get that. And so here you have this, amen. Y'all getting that? Amen. And that's what I love to see in this world. You see, I, I, you see these young people, they love this, they, these rappers who have money, and yet there's people who are billionaires, like Dan Cathy, the owner of Chick-fil-A, who could stack his money in this room. And, and he, he would say to people, if you want this money, what would you be willing to do, do for it? And a lot of people say, I will kill my neighbor for this. I'll, I'll blow this place up for this. You know, they would say the most craziest things they would do for this. And then he would say like this, guess what? I bow down to Jesus and serve him, and this is what he gave me. I didn't do it to get a billion, but by serving Jesus, I got a billion. I didn't have to sell my soul to get this, and this is just money. So once again, people worship money, but Christians have money. God has all the money. So why are we being deceived by those things? When this royal official hit his knees, what he was saying to all those people around there, y'all better hit your knees for Jesus too. If I'm coming all the way from this palace, riding on my, my, my palace steed, and I'm all the way here hitting my knees in a $1,000 Armani suit, and I'm down here, what you doing, Bubba? Right? You get the point I'm trying to say here. We not, should not be too proud to ask God to do something. And then this is very important once again. 
to not get consumed with making Jesus out to be the trickster, like he's on our time schedule. And I think even us as charismatics, we get caught up in this. You know, Benny Hinn wants to take off his jacket and start waving it over the audience and start blowing his bad breath on everybody. And, uh, and then we start buying all these books and the who's who of the charismatic zoo. You know, this person has oil coming off their hands. This one can prophesy your name and this one and that one and this one and that. And it's like Jesus is just sitting over here going, hey, guys. I'm over here. I don't know what y'all doing over here with Madam whoever. You remember the one psychic? What was her name? Madam, uh, Madam Cleo. Y'all with Madam Cleo over here. I'm just over here hanging out because once again, that Jesus didn't come to do that. That wasn't what Jesus was there to do. Jesus came to be our great God and Savior. And so I want to be the kind of person that's great with Jesus no matter what he's doing. If you remember when Elijah was on the mountain, there was an encounter he had with God. And, and he had like the earth was quaking. And he thought God was coming in the earthquake, but he didn't. And then God, then a great wind came. He thought God was coming in a great wind. And God didn't come that way. But then God just came to a still small voice and just spoke to him. See, I want to be there for that day and the other days. Amen. And then lastly, that persistence, that journey is that we take away from this sign. I, I just have so many stories I could share in closing, but I want us to pray, but maybe just one more. I think about the journey about me having a wife. You know, this is like my like a big thing to me, okay? So for 10 years journeying by myself, but holding on to that promise, I won't have to sleep by myself for very long. Jesus is going to send me somebody. I'm not going to have to do these clothes all by myself and cook all by myself. You know, it's lonely when you're by yourself all the time. And you just, you get to a point on the journey, and I did, where it's like, well, maybe the promise is not coming about. And so I went to online dating. And nothing wrong with online dating. But there at Christian Cafe, the, be the, the, the worst of me got the best of me. And I started dating girls there and meeting them flying all over the country. And I became so vain. You would not have liked me. You would have, you would have left the church saying, you're so mean to these ladies, Pastor. If there would have been a reality camera following me around, you would have been in shock. Not because of the immorality, but because of my vanity. I was going to date the whole, whole Christian cafe I was going to date them all and my wife will tell you when I came to Belmont and I went to Saks Fifth Avenue outlet store and got myself some paisley shirts whatever's in with my spiky hair you remember that and and I was going to date everybody at the church I was at and I was taking this one out and taking this one out it was amazing literally how many people I dated at that time and lo and behold just here's my wife and God's like, when are you done going the wrong way on this and are going to trust me and go in this direction? And literally, for me, the time actually is very, uh, the thing with time is very similar to this miracle because I knew Nancy for about five to six years. And it's like God was saying, this was the one all along. And I remember when you guys came down, Rachel, with Nancy, when she was a part of a youth group, and I was one of the pastors, and, and, uh, uh, Pastor Eddie, her youth pastor, tried to hook me up with her. But I was dating a girl and she was dating a guy. But he didn't care because he knew the girl wasn't right for me and the guy wasn't right for her, you know. And, and he was just like, y'all should hook up. And I literally rejected it then. I could have been dating that beautiful woman then. You see what I'm saying? So it's like God has plans that we know not of until we trust him in the journey. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Come on, they clap louder for uh, Baez than that. Come on, clap for Jesus. Woo! Amen. 
It's all about Jesus. Rachel, would you come please with Jerry? Look at this in closing and tell me if this captures your heart because I felt the Lord gave it to me and I want to share it with you. How would you pray to Jesus today, like right now, if he was the only one that could do a miracle in your life? Like if you were in that position of the royal uh, servant, the royal official rather, and, and you were just like, this is my only hope. Jesus is my only hope. My son is dying right now. I need this miracle. How would you pray to Jesus? You'd get desperate, wouldn't you? I mean, I think about my son, four-year-old Lucas. Gentlemen, you can take this, please. Dim the house lights. Thank you. I think about my son, four years old, and if he was dying, what I would do for him, all the places that I would go. What I would do would be beyond limits. I would give up everything I would have for him. And that's why I wanted to clarify at the beginning about this begging thing. It's not like the royal official comes to Jesus and is, and is saying, I, I need these house lights right above me still, please. It's not like he's coming to Jesus going, you know, Jesus, I, I meant to do something, but I didn't do it, and it's my fault. No, he is coming to Jesus on his knees going, Jesus, my son is dying. I need you, Jesus. I need you to come with me right now. My son is dying. I heard about you. I heard about you, Jesus. He's dying. Then watch this. Jesus looks at him and goes, looks at him and goes, a, a people who seek signs and wonders are just a wicked people, and they'll never believe. I don't care about them people, Jesus. Just come to my house. Please. He'll die if you don't come right now, Jesus. You see why that captured Jesus' heart? The moment Jesus saw that, no matter how busy Jesus was rebuking all these other folks, the moment he saw, he saw that and heard that, heaven opened up and Jesus said, go, it is done. Boom. Come on, I, I just want to ask somebody here today, what would you do if Jesus was the only hope to do a miracle in your life? You know why? Because the truth is, he is really your only hope. He's our only hope. The truth is, he is really your only hope right now. I just wonder if there's anybody that's willing to pray for America today before the election, like as if Jesus is our only hope because he is. I just wonder if there's anybody here today that wants to pray for Chicago like Jesus was our only hope because he really is. I wonder if there's anybody else that wants to pray for your marriage to be restored, to be healed, a, a, a lost son or daughter or a lost mom or dad. I wonder if there's anybody here that really believes Jesus is the only hope for a relationship you know about or in because the truth is he really is. The only hope for my marriage, for your marriage, for my kids, for our nation, and for some of you that are sick and ill, I want to ask you, what would you do if Jesus was the only hope for your healing? Because ultimately he's the only hope. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes and think of a few things he's the only hope for today and lift them up to him right now and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Pray today, friends, before we leave. Come on, pray. Pray today. Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my only hope, Jesus. You're my only hope. What are you believing God for today? What are some things maybe you've given up believing on? Because it hasn't happened yet. Would you ask God to do it right now? He's your only hope. He's your only hope. 30 seconds right now. Talk to Jesus.
Who's going to have the faith of the, uh, the royal official today? You may say, well, I got the most problems. I know Jesus is going to listen to me. No, nope, that's not what he listens to. He listens to the one that makes him his only hope. You may say, well, I know Jesus listened to me. I'm so smart. I'm so Christian. I've been going to church my whole life. No, nope. sorry. That's not the one he listens to. He listens to the one who says, you're my only hope, rich or poor. You're my everything. Fifteen more seconds. Some of you came here today without a good relationship with Jesus, without living right for him. Right now, you need to repent because he is your only hope to get to heaven. If all you know how to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, start there. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. You're my only hope to get to heaven. You're the only hope that I have to get there. Jesus. Fifteen more seconds. You're my only hope, God. You're my only hope for my family. You're my only hope for my children. God, if you don't protect them, keep them, save them, bless them, there is no, no way else out of this wicked world. I pray for you to bless my children. You're my only hope, Jesus. I won't leave until you bless them. I won't leave until you bless them, Jesus. You're my only hope. We're going to end out today. Would you look up here, please? We're going to end out worshiping, praying, very similar to what we did last week. The after party will be these uh, women worshiping and praying to, uh, you'll never let me down, put up the words, please. And if you want to meet us up here, just come and worship with us in the after party because I believe he is our only hope. Whenever I feel we're done with the time of meeting needs, I want us to pray for our nation. Because in our first service, I'm telling you, we realized he's our only hope. And I know there's some of you here that you're just so desperate. You're smart enough to realize no matter who wins, we're still in a lot of trouble come Wednesday. We need Jesus in this nation. And if you're sick or you're going through something, pray first and then we will pray with you for your healing because we still believe in healing. I still believe that there can be a miracle. Healings can still happen. Amen? I got two ladies to choose from up here about only hope. Can I have one of you pray for us? Maybe you? Let me think of something that you can encourage them with in your life. Jesus being your only hope. Hmm. Well, I know as a Christian you faced a lot of hard times, like you've lost your grandmother, and for you that was tough yep. because you really had a great relationship with her, and you named your daughter, your first daughter after her, Jovi. Yes. Was that what you were going to share, or what else came to your mind? About children, too, because our first pregnancy was a miscarriage, too. That's right. So, um... Yeah, share that, please. Yeah, so I had so many promises. Um, God had given me promises about my children, had told me things that they would accomplish in their lives. So when we first got pregnant, I was like, this is when the promise is going to happen. This is, you know, what the person I'm going to see grow up and accomplish all these things. And when we lost that, our first child, it's like, I guess those promises weren't for me. You know, I guess I'm not going to experience that. And there was a season of doubt um, about the goodness of God, about the faithfulness of God. And and it was a, a battle to keep trusting that God is who he says he is, you know. And, sure. and I can still read the word and put my faith in who God said um, he is and that those promises would still come to pass. So I remember um, we had a, a bunch of us, this is a testimony that we always share, a bunch of us women um, in leadership had all gone through some losses with our children. And 
um, the man of God called us up and prayed for us. And, and I knew at that moment that, man, God is good and it's going to happen. And, and within that month, we all got pregnant. And, and man, that's a testimony to how good God is. That is a good one. I'm glad I called on you. Would you pray for us, please, and then we'll dismiss? Yes. Thank you. God, we thank you, Lord, that we can hope yes. in you, God. Thank that you, we God. can hope in your word, that, that, God, whatever you say, oh, God, will be and will come to pass. And, God, we look to you, God, not as our, our magician, not as our genie, not just someone, God, that's going to give us goodies, but we look to you as our God. We look to you, God, as our, our Savior, Lord Jesus. And I pray that right now that every person in this room would, God, call on your name, that every person would lift up their hands, oh, God, because you are good, you are faithful. So, God, I pray that we would turn to you, God, in every season, every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give it up?